Hey, Zero Block 30 listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Pride members can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. This episode of Zero Block 30 is brought to you by 1-800-Flowers. It's Mother's Day coming up in just like three days. And if you don't have your mama some flowers or a gift, she has every right to be fucking pissed at you. There is no better feeling than when you make your mom proud. You don't want to make her mad. Even when you're an old dude, you're 34 like me, you got to make your mom happy. You could do that by going to 1-800-Flowers.com right now and using the promo code CHAPS to get 24 stunning multicolored roses for just 24 bucks. I got some that were sent here for my wife the other day. And it's so many fucking flowers that I had to like separate them into multiple, multiple arrangements. So now we have like four arrangements around the house with six fresh flowers in each. That was quick math by me. Shout out to me. Shout out to UTSA for teaching the Marine a little bit of math. But we got 24 flowers for 24 bucks and they're nice roses, man. And they've been in my house for about a week and a half and they're still looking good. I don't know how they do it, but they did it well. So make sure that you can get it. But the offer expires today, Friday. So you need to get it in if you want to get it to your mom. So if you're listening on like Wednesday of next week, because you are a slacker and you don't listen to ZBT the moment that you wake up on Friday morning, you fucked up and you don't get these flowers. So go to 1-800-Flowers though. Try the, try the promo code. Fuck it. Might work still. Chaps. Promo code chaps. 1-800-Flowers.com. ZBT time. Let's fucking go. I'm going to be honest with you, boys. We are going to have a serious conversation today. And I did. I, I even told Connor earlier this week that I wasn't even sure that I wanted to broach the subject about what's going on with the FBI, but we would be remiss to our listeners if we didn't get into it some. So we brought young Riggsy back into the building. We're going to do that. But first of all, let me just ask you boys. I'm fired up. I told you before we even started. Yeah. Going, yeah. I told you, you that I'm fucking fired up. You I am are, fired up. You are full of piss and vinegar right now. Yep. It's very, uh, it's very noticeable. You said it, and uh, you are not kidding. You're pretty fired up, Chapsy. Your face is almost as red as your beard. I know, dude. Like, I've been reading about it all day. I was reading about it yesterday. I was listening to a podcast on my way back from Houston where I went to go watch the Astros play. My old beloved Braves, now my new beloved Astros. And that was fun. But the entire time, I was like white-knuckle driving, like listening to people talk about this issue because it pisses me off so much. Um but we'll get into that in a second. Connor, how was your week, buddy? Good, good. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to the weekend and to, to Mother's Day, spending time with some, uh, uh, excuse me, spending some time with my mother, as is always enjoyable. Uh, but otherwise, uh, the week was uh, a nice one. Nothing of note to report. Just happy to be here. Hell yeah. Riggsy, how are you, my friend? My week's great, Chapsy. When are you coming back to, uh, to visit? May 22nd, I'll be back in the building. I'll be back for a little bit of Fleet Week action. Um, we're going to have some big things going on. We're hosting the rundown at the USS Enterprise. Intrepid. <laughs> yeah, this is not, not Star Trek. It's the Intrepid. Well, actually, there is a USS Intrepid <laughs> and Enterprise, like a real one. But this one is USS Intrepid. Which, Intrepid, yeah. I was actually at the dedication with uh, President Bush for that whenever it went down. Oh, I, I was think... there. So I said no. Yeah. Okay, fair. Uh, 
That was, um, that was a pretty fun day. That's exciting. I, uh, I'm excited. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, no. I'm looking forward to get back. Fuck it. Let's just go. No more pleasantries. Let's get into this issue because I need to fucking talk about it. Rigsy, tell us what happened. Tell us what went down. Well, I mean, I think uh, at this point it's going to be Friday when this comes out. Everyone's going to know. Uh, everybody should know. Uh, you know, Comey, James Comey, fired by Trump. Very surprisingly, on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday evening, pretty much right when we were all leaving the office, it broke. Uh, a lot of a lot of wild stuff has come out since. He found out while he was addressing the L.A. FBI office, saw it on the TVs in the back, thought he was being pranked, kind of laughed it off. Uh, they were like, "Nope, like you're <clears throat> you're out." Uh, then it got a little OJ esque with the cameras following him down. What is it, the four hundred five in L.A. Mm-hmm. Foul on his motorcade to the airport. Uh, now all kinds of reports are coming out, you know, uh, that he had requested more money, more funds, more resources into the uh, investigation into how involved Russia was with meddling with the election. I just saw a report come through on my phone that um, <clears throat> White House officials are kind of saying, you know, oh, I guess, you know, without Comey, this hopefully you'll be, you know, the end of this kind of hoax investigation, blah, blah, blah. So it's not good. A lot of the optics are very bad. Uh, I've, you know, in my blogs, I try to keep it mostly light and have fun with it, but Chaps and I have been texting quite a bit this week. I think it's very clear a lot of people see this as a very, very dangerous sign. Go ahead, Chaps. No, you go ahead. I can just see it in your face. All right, so there's a couple (laughs) things. One, there are a lot of things I, I have talked about in the past, how I think that the primary shape of a leader goes into how you accept blame and how you approach certain situation with being upfront and forthright. Firing the director of the FBI via letter when he's not even in the fucking state that you're in. I don't even like to use this word. That's cowardly. It is cowardly. He could have easily got him on the phone, said, get on a secure line. He's the president of the United States. Somebody get Director Comey on a secure line. I want to talk to him face-to-face, even if he's not in the state. If he had to do it right away. Yeah, he remotely. That. Remotely. That's yeah. fucking a pussy move. Straight up. Pussy move. To find out that you are at the highest level of your career, and to find out that you've been removed based on a bottom-line ticker on a new show, is, is a fucking pussy move. That's a cowardly move. Very unprofessional. Very unprofessional. And, so, I, I mean, and, I mean, with technology, he could have FaceTimed him. Uh, I'm sure there's some secure way they have to FaceTime, at the very least gotten them on the phone. I mean, this is something, when you're removing the director of the FBI, that is something that should be done face-to-face. If it absolutely had to be at that instant, though, it should have been done in a professional manner such that he didn't think he was being pranked when he sees it on the television. So, yeah, I agree. Very unprofessional. Secondly, to go for Trump to, President Trump to go on TV after the fact and continuously talk shit about Comey is mind-blowingly bad optics. Like, it's just the way that he thinks, it makes no sense. And I don't understand how he is the leader of the fucking free world, man. Like, he is looking at this situation thinking that he's doing good. The most mind-blowing part of the entire thing, Riggs, I think we text about this, was... Them saying they didn't think it was going to blow up politically, that they fired the fucking director of the FBI while he's leading an investigation into Russia. Yeah, that's pretty wild to have that take. 
And then I like, thought that's not people that you want it making decisions. People that don't have that kind of foresight. You don't want them making decisions. If you don't see that coming, you don't see shit coming. No, and I've been stunned at how they've, and this was kind of the first thing you were just saying, was how they've been shitting on him. I mean, they had the the Sanders chick who's kind of filling in for Spicer right now while yeah. he does Navy Reserves. She's out there today being like, you know, he was unfit to do the job. He wasn't fit. Usually they're like, we really thank him for his service. He did, you know, he really committed himself to his country and all of that. They're just shitting on him, and they're basically making it sound like they made this decision a you're long time ago. Dis- yeah, you're making an unprofessional decision look even more unprofessional. Right, and they're doing it in a sense that it makes it sound like they've thought for a long time that he was unfit for the job, yet they let him lead the FBI. So it can't be both ways, right? Either you thought, you know, he was the right man for the job up until very recently, and then you decided to do it, or it's the other way around, and you should have gotten rid of him immediately. Or what? But what, the way they're doing it, in no way, shape, or form, makes sense or is logical it's it's and i've you know i always try to see both sides and try to be as neutral and, and i've tried my fucking dick off this for is the first just... couple months of this presidency to really try to be like okay i'm not gonna flip out and i haven't done this since he got elected so i want that on the record too to me he's acting like on Podfathers. we talk we have this segment that we call don't tell your mother where <laughs> if we have a three-year-old or a four-year-old kid we could basically do whatever the fuck we want to at night when mom's not in town and just basically don't don't tell her because she's going to forget like two days later what she actually did. She's not going to remember that she ate pizza four nights in a row in three days. I'll be like, no, she didn't eat pizza four nights in a row. Come on, don't be ridiculous. That's what this administration is acting like the American people, that you have no long-term memory, that you're not going to remember that they were singing Comey's praises because he had courage whenever he released the, the information about the emails a couple of days before the election. Like, they act like you're not going to remember that. You do. You do remember it. And then him saying that he, like in his interview today, that he asked the director directly if he was involved in an investigation. Like, that is intimidating. It's obstructing. It's, like, by the book definitions. Right. The FBI is supposed to be independent. So if he's conducting that investigation, whatever he's doing, that's that's what they do. They're the FBI that like they are about as, uh, you know, they they need to go about their business as independently as possible. Otherwise, any influence from any side whatsoever drastically affects their ability to do their job with full integrity. And so. Which is why the director serves 10-year terms. It's not eight years. It's not four years. It's not six years. It's 10 years to go over two presidents. Right. It's it's purposely put in place to extend over multiple presidencies. So the whole thing, it's just – it's bad on its own. And then when you look at how they rolled it out, the fallout, the fact that they're stunned from the fallout, the fact that they really don't seem to have even considered who's going to replace them, it's just – it's stunning. It's honestly very stunning. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you think he should be fired. And if, if it is true that they thought from Jump Street that they wanted to fire him, then obviously the, the timing of this is, is very, very conspicuous. It's uh, a little unsettling. Whether, you know, but, you know, you can be, you can think he should have been fired. You can agree that he should have been fired, but then also think the timing is crummy. I don't think that's a poor way to think. But I think more to your point, Riggs, about how they've been handling this rollout. 
I saw a quote from from Kellyanne Conway, and it was just so pejorative. She said, you want to question the timing of when he hires, when he fires. It's inappropriate. He'll do it when he wants to. Almost like, just leave us alone. He's just going to run amok. It's like, that's not quite how this thing in this country works. He's not up there as a dictator or as a king, just doing as he pleases. He has a lot of people to answer to. Most importantly, the American public. And by making that sort of statement, you're just almost saying, like, he doesn't really care what anybody else thinks. He's not going to take any of their opinions into consideration. And he's going to make his own decisions, which I think is not a good thing. Yeah, I mean, the the media literally exists to question when the president fires That's the reason why the director the, the fucking thing. Like, I mean, it just is. We can shit on him all the time for covering really petty stuff, which we do. And Chaps has kind of declared war against... The mainstream media and or legitimate news organizations focusing on dumbass petty stuff. This is the exact opposite of that. This is, this is exactly just, what they're exactly. supposed to cover. This is big, man. Like this is this is Nixonian. Like you hear those type of things all all the time. Where people, this is a big fucking deal. Firing the guy that is supposed to have a ten year seat in the midst of a middle of an investigation. When they say that he was going like two days before, he was at the fast track to get more documents, more money in order to get things really going. Yeah. The Senate committee wanted more and more shit. He was trying to give it to him and then fire him. It's it doesn't look good. No, man. it's and, not and, good. Like, and I don't I, there's so much fucking smoke to say there's no fire is fucking ridiculous. It's like your golf guy rigs like going down to to Jacksonville right now and be like, fuck, man, there's like. 3,000 people here that are walking a golf course. They're not even really playing. They don't have golf clubs. There must be a tournament going on. But I don't want to say for sure that there's a tournament going on. Every fucking side points. There's even pimento cheese sandwiches out. Like, there's a fucking tournament going on, man. And then they, they have the gall to say, like, hey, but if you want to keep going with that Russia investigation, you guys have at it. Keep going. That's like saying to someone who's been training for six months for a marathon, the week before, you go cut off their legs and say, hey, but you can still go run that marathon. Yeah, sure, they can continue to, this in Russia investigation, but when they have to now deal with this turmoil and this lack of a leader and uncertainty of who's going to lead the FBI going forward, it, it's it's making it almost impossible to continue this investigation with the momentum they might have had. McConnell is guilty, too, by saying that he doesn't want to appoint an independent prosecutor. With as much clamoring as going on on both sides of the aisle, you've got to do that. Like, that's the absolute bare minimum. You've got to apply an independent prosecutor. Like, have to. And then them saying that Comey wasn't trusted. The assistant director, who's now the acting director, is like, no, that's just flat out not true in front of Congress today. Like, it's just the missteps. It really shows... It's one of the first things that you really notice that this guy has no political experience because people in the Trump organization before he was in politics wouldn't step out. The FBI is not going to do that when you're under oath and they're asking you about the boss who you this guy looked like he was going to fucking cry when they were asking him about if he loved Comey or not. He was like, it's the greatest pleasure and passion of my personal and professional life to serve alongside of Comey. That doesn't sound the same as the FBI had lost faith in him. Like, it just doesn't sound the same. Yeah, and I've I've really gotten caught up today in a lot of the back and forth, the, the uh, letter that Comey, um, you know, his goodbye letter to the FBI. Uh, like you were saying, the uh, now active director and what he had to say and how uh, 
It sounded like an old football coach that's leaving his beloved team to pursue a job in the NFL. How different that was from how the administration painted, you know, the thought that the FBI and the feeling that the FBI had towards Comey. It's crazy. Like they, you know, this is like you could so clearly tell that this is an organization that is supposed to and intended to and tries to operate independently. He was the beloved head of it. and They just cut him off. And it's like. Again, had they had some sort of plan or had they, like, kind of rolled into this move or something, it would yeah. make a little bit more sense. But it's almost like they Trump just woke up and was like, yeah, we're just going to well, get rid of Comey. Fuck that guy. I think it just stinks of Comey was getting close to something that Trump probably was not Which gonna... is even worse. No, exactly. That's no, like absolutely. the worst. Absolutely. And, and, I mean, in Trump's previous life, you know, anytime – bear with me here, real quick story. So, you know, when I was a caddy – uh, a country club all, all through my teenage years. Golf talk. Golf talk. Okay. I was always around. I was a, a very, very prestigious club, so I was always around these gentlemen who had very, very powerful positions. And because I was a teenager and I wasn't in the workforce, they would just speak freely in front of me. And I would hear them talk about rivals in their own business or people within their own company coming at them. And you get these alpha males and these power, or excuse me, positions of power, and it's a lot easier to just eliminate someone than to deal with them diplomatically. So you got someone like Trump, who's now in the most powerful position in the world, who has all these people coming at him. Well, what's the best way to get rid of this investigation that could spell a lot of trouble? Well, cut off the head of the snake. If I get rid of Comey, maybe it'll just go away. Now, I don't think he's going to be that lucky. I don't think this is all just going to go away. Certainly not. It's just no going to it's just going to put it on pause indefinitely till they can get their shit back in order. But it just it, it's it's not a very as you said chaps, you could tell he doesn't have the political experience cuz this just doesn't fly. Yeah, and to speak to that, I want to I'll tell a quick little story as well. In 2012, I did not vote for Obama. I was a Romney guy and I got into a big argument with one of my buddies who was an Obama supporter, and his massive argument was about experience. And he said, how in the, how in the world could you experience-wise not vote or not want to vote for the guy who had be, who's been in there for four years already because no one else has the experience. No one else on earth is that qualified based on the experience. Very heated argument, and I could never quite wrap my head around what he was saying because I never considered experience that, like, that, that, that important. And this is such a good example of what he was talking about in yep. that, you know, and that's why they talk about it during the campaign and you could shit on Hillary for this or that. But like experience is proving to be so valuable, especially in the first hundred days when you step in and all of a sudden you and the people that you choose to surround yourself with are the most powerful group of people on the planet. You got to know what the fuck you're doing and how to handle things. And it's becoming very clear that they don't. And I'll try to calm down for a minute. We'll go back to like a normal <laughs> chaps conversation type shit. I begrudgingly voted for Hillary Clinton. I think I've said that before. Like I wasn't a huge Hillary fan. I thought she was a better option than Donald Trump. I, that's the reason why I voted for her because I thought she was the better option. But you can't look at Hillary and say that she is not the second most qualified person in the last hundred years to become president. Like if she would have. The only other person that would have been more qualified would be H.W. Bush because he led fucking everything. H.W. Bush probably has, if you would have got a second term, easily the most qual- most impressive 
of the last hundred years. Maybe Eisenhower too. Um, but Hillary had that resume. Now, I don't think that experience trumps all, especially not when you're talking about Romney versus Obama. I think that's absolutely silly because Romney was an executive, like he was a governor. Right. So it's not like he didn't have experience in the political realm. It's comparing Romney and Obama to Trump and Hillary is like way, way apples and oranges, right. in my opinion. Um, but I think that we've got to get to a point where, and you're seeing it some, where Republicans are like, okay, this is kind of fucked up. Like, just <laughs> yeah. admit that it's fucked up. Like, I, that's what I want to see. And it's nice that this, if this is the straw that was like, come on, dude, like Paul Ryan, man, like Paul Ryan was supposed to be this real strong leader. And he's like bending at every whim. One of those two to make your party look better at this point, cons, I would think that one of those two, Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell has got to stand up and be like, look, the optics look bad. I'm not sure what happened, so we're going to find out what the fuck happened. What is wrong with finding out what happened? Yeah, no, just blindly supporting based on party affiliation is absolutely asinine. And, and we've said that multiple times. So and if yes. you do that, you will crush your party. I agree. You will crush it. I agree. If Somebody they, needs to step up. If it comes out and all the leadership in the GOP are handed behind Trump and something does bad come out, the GOP will be obliterated. And they're, I think that they're just finding themselves in such a difficult spot where they literally don't know what to do because, you know, they're so scared and so uns, unsure of the electorate and what the electorate's going to do because there's no fucking way that, you know, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, they did not think that Donald Trump could actually, first of all, win the Republican nomination. Second of all, actually win the general election. He did all that. And so now they're sitting there going, well, we want to be against all this shit that he's doing because it's fucking insane. But, like, if we do it, is the electorate going to kick us out? Because yeah. they elected this guy. Why wouldn't they vote against us? So I just think they find themselves in such a unbelievably difficult position, especially after they finally get a Republican into the White House. Republican, air quotes, whatever you want to say. They finally get a guy who's technically from their party in the White House, and then now they have to go against him. It's like they just find themselves in such a hard spot. I read an article somewhere. I don't remember where it was, but they made a really, really amazing point that when the president first takes over, traditionally, he's going to be able to do what he wants to in the first hundred days because you have so much political clout after the first hundred days because you just won the election. You just got in, except for maybe Bush in his first term because that was like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but um besides that, you have a lot of power in your first hundred days. Trump has gone the opposite way where he has such a low approval rating. I think it's at like thirty nine percent now, where at the beginning, traditionally every single person in that party of the the guy who won has got to fall in line behind it. You will not have that mandate when the approval rating of the president nationwide is 39%. You don't have that mandate to get behind him anymore. So it's going to make governing that much more difficult. If Trump has an idea that they don't like, and you're seeing it already, like with the first health care vote, the, to have a Republican nominated House and to lose the first vote of something that the president who just took office wanted to do, to have the Senate and the House and the executive branch and for a vote to fail – is pretty wild. And it was like the biggest thing you wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. That, that was like, yeah, it was definitely. And the biggest, biggest thing platform. that Congress wanted to do. That's all right. they talked about. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an unprecedented 
kind of now it's feeling. Gonna be even less. Like that's what my point was. It's going to be even less. I'm interested to see where the approval ratings go. I think we're going to get really close to what Dave Silver calls the bottom line, where you're at like 34 percent, 35 percent is the bottom out of approval ratings because people are just so partisan that that's as far as you can go. I think it's actually 37 percent where 37 percent are going to vote Republican or Democrat either way. So they don't care. They just look at the letter in front of the name or behind the name. But speaking of shaving, if you wanted to shave off some um, investigations or if you want to just shave the hair off your face, the best place to go for that is dollarshaveclub.com. Dollar Shave Club is a great choice. You get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. It's an awesome life hack and a no-brainer choice. You no longer have to schlep to the store. You can buy a cheap disposable razor that gave you a good shave. For a limited time, the new members get their first month with an executive razor with a tube of Dr. Carver's shave butter for only $5 with free shipping. And after that, razor just a few bucks a month. That's $15 value for only 5 bucks. In your first box, you'll get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of shave butter. There are no th- hidden fees, no commitments. Cancel anytime you want. DollarShaveClub.com slash chaps. Any save rounds, alibis about that segment, boys? Anything you wanted to add? Um, just two things. You know, it is unprecedented, you know, for to go against your party. But then again, I think it's unprecedented to have someone like Donald Trump as our president. Oh. So I think you'll you'll start Certainly. to see you'll start to see traditional politics. They may start to fall by the wayside with certain things. And, you know, I think that's it's uncharted territory. Um, so it might be a bumpy road, but it, I wouldn't be surprised if we started seeing traditional Washington start to finally evolve a little bit. And then uh, the only other thing I have to say about this whole thing is I had no idea Comey was six foot eight, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I heard that. That is that's wild. Yeah, six foot eight. Yeah, that's so, a big motherfucker. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> anyway. Another topic that we want to talk about. My fucking blood pressure's through the roof, dude. This shit, that <laughs> shit pissed me off, man. You got that off your chest, chaps. Yeah, it's got to feel yeah, good. Yeah, that's probably therapeutic. I know, and I'm looking at the clock, and I know that we got Nate Silver or Nate Nate Boyer coming on in just a minute, and I know his interview is going to be good, too, so I don't want to take up too much time. I could have gone on forever, dude. I'm glad we got a clock in front of me so I don't go on forever because I'm sure our listeners appreciate that, too. For our conservative bros, I also want to say that just because you voted, like cons voted for Trump, I don't fucking hate you, man. Like, I feel like that that's a, such a predominant thing is just because you voted for somebody that you're, you're a bad person or if you vote liberal Democrat, like you you feel like you have to attack somebody based on the person that they vote. Yeah, I hate I that. Don't, I don't think that way. I don't think I, so that way either. I can, I can think that the decision that you made was foolish while not thinking that you're a fool. How so. about I can't stand? How about all the people on Facebook that like they address their political statuses to the people that voted for Trump now? So they're like, "Do you guys feel good about yourselves?" Yeah. Like going through all this shit, it's like, "Fuck you!" Like people have their own reasons for voting. You're gonna make people feel like shit. Like that's already over with. You deal with it from this point on. You don't go shit on people because they, for whatever their reasons were, decided to vote one way or the other. That is that is pathetic. But and also, I that, and I know that we have a high Twitter listening audience. I want you to go back, every single Twitter user on there. I want you to go into the little search bar on web Twitter. Go to the search bar, click it, then put at, put your Twitter handle, put your Twitter name, and then search but her emails. If you said that in the last six months, 
stop following me because you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you've said it since the election, but her emails, you are the kind of person I hate. So unfollow me, please. Yeah, and I think I mean I've repeatedly uh, various topics. I've gone against what President Trump has done. I- I've acknowledged that some of the things in that he's he's done are not good decisions. So just because I voted for the guy, that doesn't mean now it's just everything he does, like I'm just going to back him 100%. And and that's where all this hate on, on social media just is so aggravating because, like you said, Riggs, like people just lump us all together like, oh, you, are you happy? Like, well, I mean. If no, I want the you, country to do well. Exactly. I'll be happy when the country does well and I made a decision. Or, or everyone, in theory, should make a decision based on who they thought at the time was going to be the best thing for the country. You don't, like, shit on somebody. For, like, that's stuff. You're a petty loser if you do that. Yeah. Tom Petty. <laughs> All right. So, Marine Corps history-wise, earning ranks, especially up to the rank of, the, of Staff Sergeant, is pretty special, man. Like, when I got promoted to Staff Sergeant, I was fucking stoked. And that's not to say that any of the other ones are special. You talk to a lot of Marines who were career Marines enlisted guys. And a lot of them will say that corporal, when they first became a non-commissioned officer, was their favorite rank. Mine was staff sergeant just because I had the opportunity to lead people at school and become an instructor. And I really loved mentoring people. Recently, the Marine Corps specifically has been looking at adding um, a new kind of wrinkle to their rank structure. And historically, the president's own band, who is like President Trump's band now, is President Obama's. They bring in high-level musicians that are really skilled, usually older, too, usually like in their 40s or 50s because they're really great musicians. And they come in, they have the rank of staff sergeant, even though everybody knows that they don't do that. Now, I don't want you I don't want the listeners to be confused with the actual Marine Corps band like the Marine Corps band. You could say that I was in the Marine Corps band. And a lot of people look at those guys as like guys and girls as like pussies. But deployed wise, they do pretty significant shit. Like whenever you're talking about. Um, gate entries and sentries to forward operating bases, a lot of those guards are band members. That's what they do when they deploy. So they will have times where they play their instrument while they're deployed, but 90% of the time they're doing actual combat shit, and I don't think people realize that about real Marine band members. But the president's own band comes in, they sign a contract, they don't go to boot camp, unlike regular band. The president's own band doesn't do that. They get the rank of staff sergeant. No Marines really have any issue with it because there's not a chance in fucking hell that the president's own band is ever going to be on your base, like, telling you what to do. Like, so <laughs> it's not really an issue. It doesn't happen. The way that they're looking at it now with cybersecurity people who would come in at the rank of staff sergeant because they have high-level computer skills, that would not be the case. They would probably come into a shop with other people who are enlisted and rose to the enlisted ranks and become in charge of you, even though you've been doing Marine Corps shit for a while they wouldn't have to go to boot camp, and I have a huge, huge fucking problem with that. I mean, as well, you should. I, I agree. I, I, I have an issue with it, too, because you said last week, you know, when we were talking about stolen valor and, and military appropriation, you said how somebody wearing those those E6 stripes uh, and, and rocker, you know, that, that kind of irks you because it takes something to earn that, especially, uh, you know, in a, in a forward-deployed unit. And that's not taken lightly in, in any of the services, whether it's E6 or E7. Uh, on the officer side, I would say it's it's probably from 04, from major and above, uh, when you really start to, to earn some things. Um, because prior to that, both on the enlisted side and the officer side, it's basically if you don't kill anyone or don't screw up completely too bad, you're going to make a certain rank after a certain amount of time. Um, 
But especially on the enlisted side, man, it is beyond E4, uh, at least in the Army. It is a difficult process uh, that you have to go through. So to just hand someone that rank, it's a little unsettling. Because also, too, like, if I walk into a shop and I don't know anyone, and I don't know what anyone's job is or any of their capabilities, first thing I'm going to do is start looking at rank to figure out who I need to talk to. And if there's someone in there with an E6 rank and I ask them, a very important question. They have no idea what I'm talking about. That's not good. Yeah, and the thing about it's there's a lot of prestige in it, but it's just not necessary. Like yeah. there's already civilian rank structures within the military, and people might not know that as well. Like there's the government service ranks. I think that's what GS stands for. Yeah. Um, where you have GS, like I think they start at like three or something like that, and it goes all the way up to 15, which basically has general level authority. Um. There's a famous scene in West Wing where Sam Seaborn and Josh go to the hospital to go visit the president, and they're at like Walter Reed, I think, and or maybe Bethesda, and they go in and they're like they're talking to like a captain or something, and the captain starts giving them shit because they're civilians. He's like, "I would watch your tone. I am GS fifteenth, the equivalent of a of a general." And the guy's like, "Oh fuck!" So that <laughs> yeah. it, it's a real thing. And on lo- like bases, like Marine Corps bases, for example, they have law enforcement officers who are civilians technically, but they are in charge of the Marines if they outrank them with their GS rank. So there's no reason to do it and put somebody in the Marine Corps uniform because I'm a firm fucking believer in the fact that once you complete the crucible, the last part of Marine Corps training, and you get issued an Eagle Globe and Anchor for the first time, it is a special fucking thing. There's, to me, like being called a Marine is a privilege. To be able to get that just by being really good at computer shit is not the same. So you boys are telling me you guys grind your dicks off (laughs) for years, sweating it out, slopping around on the mud and some fucking nerds come in and just tell you guys what to do. Well, that's what would happen. It's a proposal right now. Yeah, because they they, came in in uniform and they came in. If there was like some dude that was walking the hall and you're walking the hall as a staff sergeant, he's going to say, good afternoon, staff sergeant. And like, and if you tell him to go do something, he's going to go fucking do it. Because you outrank them. Yeah. That's shenanigans. And what it is now is because as we, we transition into the future where you have different types of ener- uh, enemies now where you need those cybersecurity capabilities, well, I- I'm going to generalize here, but if someone's coming out with just a uh, equivalent of a high school diploma or a graduated high school enlisted in the Marines or in the Army and rose through the ranks to become a non-commissioned officer, well, they just probably don't have those cyber skills because they never had a reason to learn that. So they're not able to fill those roles. So it's it's a manpower issue. But as Chap said, there's a way to fill those roles and those positions without just handing someone a Marine uniform and some rank. So let me ask you guys this. What's the argument for giving them the rank of E6? Like what, what can't they do in their job that they need that ranking to be able to do it? I don't even know. I mean, I guess you could say that Marines don't listen to the civilians as much as they would their uniform counterparts. That's is what, a, yeah. It's a big part of it. But all you need to have is somebody like me in there. And if you have junior level troops who aren't listening to the subject matter expert, you tell them to shut the fuck up and do it. Agreed. Right. Yeah. Like, like the, just have a good platoon sergeant and you're set. Yeah. The, sa- the same reason we're saying this is not a good idea is the same reason you would need it is because you see a civilian and you're just ignoring them. Gotcha. Because in the military, man, everything is rank. Everything is ranked. So you're sort of artificially like increasing the respect that they're going to yes. get because they're not going to get it 
without that. Bingo. But you typically don't have to do that if you work in the same shop. It's outside of the yeah. shop or platoon that's really going to be affected. And if it's a civilian that's not getting the respect that they deserve as an E6 equivalent outside, I don't really give a shit. Because in your shop, everybody's going to know who everybody is and what everybody does. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where it matters is at actual work. I don't care if the guy walking to the PX that's a cyber security expert is getting the proper greeting of the day. Like, that doesn't matter to me. No, that, that, that doesn't yeah. carry any water. I think it's really ultimately for combat effectiveness, and part of combat effectiveness is respecting those who you should be listening to and acting accordingly. And the argument is give them rank, and they'll just automatically listen to them when it's not that simple. I think it's a All that's weird. going to turn into, bitch, you got fucking your rocker by exactly. Contract. Yeah, You're not my <laughs> staff sergeant. Exactly. Right. It'll turn into that thing real damn quick. Because soldiers and Marines get real uh, keen to something like that It might real even quick. make They'll... it worse. Yeah. No, I think like, it would. I, I think they would give them even worse. less respect than if they were a civilian. They'd be yeah. like, they would have so much the first disdain. Time that guy comes in and he's been there for like three or four days, guys or girl, and he's like, you have to respect me, I'm a staff sergeant. Bitch, please. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I mean, as a platoon leader, when you come in, just because you have the rank, you know, you're going to get that salute, but that doesn't mean they're automatically going to just be like, oh, well, he's the he's a lieutenant. He knows everything. We're just going to fall in line and listen to him. You still have that level or that period of time where you have to earn that respect that comes with the rank. So You can earn our respect for being a podcast listener by buying our stuff in the ZBT store. The ZBT store is fully stocked again. So go to barstoolsports.com. Get the, there's about to be a big Memorial Day sale coming up. Um, we're going to have some new shit in the store, so make sure you're buying that. Make sure you're rocking it. And every time somebody tweets me that they're wearing the ZBT shirt, regardless of branch, I will retweet it. So will Khan and so will the ZBT account. We love it when you guys rock our shit, especially in the airport. Um, do a little stolen valor and go in boarding group two if you're wearing your ZBT shirts. Tell them that Uncle Chap sent you. Yeah, see if you can get upgraded just by wearing your ZBT shirt. <laughs> Tell the gate attendant, like, I don't think you know. I am a, uh, what, we, we gave out medals, right? Or awards? Yeah, good conduct. Yeah, good conduct medals. Be like, I am a good conduct medal awardee from Zero Blog 30. Please put me in first class. Yeah, and they have to announce it on the loudspeaker. Yeah. You, then you could take a little video and send it in. <laughs> User-generated content, boys. All right, well, here's Nate Boyer. Well, now on Zero Block 30, we have NFL player and Army veteran, Nate Boyer. Nate, thanks so much for joining us on Zero Block 30, my friend. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So when you first thought, because I was reading your bio, and it kind of blew my mind, because as a Marine dude, like from a deployed perspective, so many times you hear talking to like Lance Corporals or Corporals or even Sergeants when they're getting out and they're like, yeah, dude, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to apply to be on the football team. And you're just like, shut the fuck up. No, you're not. So when, when you, you actually did it. Kind of explain to us, like, what was going through your mind, not being a big-time football guy and saying that I'm going to walk on at University of Texas. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, – for me, it was like it – was, it was a dream I always had to, to play football. I, growing up, I never played, and uh, I, I just regretted it. And I played every other sport. Football was always my favorite. And uh, coming out, I mean, after being in the Special Forces, being in an elite unit like that, I just felt like, uh, I don't know, I had this confidence that I'd never had before that I could conquer anything. And I didn't want to just go back and play football just to do it. I wanted to go to a great school that was a challenge and a you know, tr- program with tradition. And I mean, obviously, University of Texas is in Austin, which is the greatest city in the free world. 
And yeah, it's uh, pretty good. In the unfree world too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so all those things kind of aligned, all those stars aligned, and I just I trained for it, man. I busted my ass for my last, uh, pretty much my last year in the in the army, preparing for that opportunity. Even though I was, you know, still deploying and all that, all my free time and and training sort of changed to to get me ready to potentially make the team. So I mean, that's kind of crazy though, too, because. Well, one, you never played it down in football, uh, you know, uh, organized football before college. Um, but then you went and you walked on, you made the team, but you made the team and, and you were a long snapper. Where is it that you picked up? Because for those who don't know, long snapping is a very, very difficult skill. And those who can do it and do it well, uh, it is impressive. So where it is, where did you come across the idea like, oh, I guess I'll just be a long snapper as opposed to, you know, maybe I'll try to make special teams uh, as, a, as a gunner or something. Well, you know, when I walked on, I had no idea that a long snapper was even a position that existed. I'd never heard of it. Um, I, I just didn't – I walked on as a safety. Okay. So, uh, you know, my freshman year, I was a, I was a scout team safety. And there was nothing wrong with that. You know, I made the team. I was able to – I ran down on kickoff if we were blowing somebody out or something. But, you know, I wasn't playing – frankly, I wasn't playing meaningful snaps yet. And I just didn't have the size and speed and, and – uh, you know, the football know-how. I mean, I was trying to learn how to backpedal in training camp, you know, mm -hmm. and figure all that stuff out and just to keep up. So uh, after that first year, I wanted to find a way to get on the field, you know, and play, play meaningful snaps, be on the travel squad and like start. And uh, how could I help the team? I just sort of identified that position is uh, we had the, the starting long snapper was a senior and he was graduating. And so was his backup. So I was going to have to compete with some kind of younger guys coming in and all that. But uh, I don't know. I figured I'd just give it a few months, snap 100 balls a day, and see if it was something I had any talent in. And I pitched growing up playing baseball, and you know, so I know how to throw a ball. And snapping it between your legs really isn't that different once you uh, kind of mess with it a little bit. It's all about just getting a spiral with some good velocity on it and put it in the same spot every time. And uh, so I started messing with it. I went overseas that summer. My my uh, my. You know, went on a every summer I went to Afghanistan for about three and a half months while I was in college. Um, I stayed in the National Guard and they would just deploy me in the summertime. And so I went over that summer with a couple footballs and just, you know, between missions, whenever I had time, I built a little target out of plywood and I started just, I would just snap and snap and snap and watch YouTube videos and Google different techniques and watch some of the pros. And I started to get the hang of it. And then I came back for training camp that year. Um, and won the, uh, won the backup job. And then after the first game of the season, our, the guy that started didn't have a great first game. And so we had a competition. Uh, I ended up beating him out and I started for 38 straight games at long snapper. You know, at 31 was the 31 years old was the first long snap I ever took. And I, I was able to kind of figure it out and be good enough at it. You don't have to be an amazing athlete. You just have to be uh, consistent and you know have ice water in those veins. <laughs> yeah, and be precise. So that's that's very impressive. Let's back up for a moment and talk a little bit more about your army career. Um, a big portion of our audience isn't military vets; they're civilians who don't know. A lot of them don't know a whole lot about the infrastructure of the army or the military in general. Can you explain right. to somebody who has no idea what it means to wear the green beret what it is? So, first of all, our, our motto is De Oppresso Liber, which is Latin for to free the oppressed. 
Um, everything that we do in the Special Forces, in the Army Special Forces, as a Green Beret, is by, with, and through indigenous forces. So all these, all this type of, the different types of unconventional warfare that we conduct is alongside partner forces. So if we're going to Iraq, we're going to Afghanistan, uh, every one of our missions is alongside Afghan and Iraqis. And we not only train them and fight alongside them, uh, we often live with them. So you spend the majority of your days and nights uh, with these people and you really embed yourself in the culture and you learn a little bit of the language and all about the customs and all that. And uh, that's what sort of differs us. You know, we're small teams. We're 12-man teams called ODAs, which stands for Operational Detachment Alpha. And these A-teams uh, just literally embed with the culture and, and live with these people. And sometimes we, we dress like them, uh, just depending on the, the mission. And we're deployed all over the world. Obviously, uh, in the last, you know, 15 years, we've spent most of our time in the Middle East. But uh, we go on missions all over the place. I've, I've gone to on missions in Bulgaria and Israel and Greece and other places as well. So uh, it's a it's a very very unique job. Um, you know, we fall under the same special operations umbrella as the as the Rangers or the Navy SEALs or you know uh, the Marine uh, the Marsoc guys, Marine Recon. But we uh, we have a very specific mission that much of the military has has adopted of late. You know, so much more of an advisor role, a train advisement and assist has been taken on by even the conventional units. So uh, th that was stuff that it all began uh, way back in Vietnam with the uh, with the Green Berets. And was this something that you wanted to do from the jump? You, you joined the military and you're like, you know what, I'm joining the military and I'm going special forces. Yeah, I, I knew that's all I wanted to do. You know, I went, uh, I went on, on a, uh, a trip back in, I guess, 2004, before I joined the Army. And I ended up, uh, I was traveling around quite a bit at the time, trying to figure out what I wanted, who I was going to be and what I wanted to do. And I just was sort of a, sort of a drifter and a bum somewhat. Um, I would just, you know, sleep in trains or hammocks or hostels. And uh, uh, This but is I when you were backpacking through Western Europe, right? You back, when you backpacked yeah, alone? Yeah, Western, Western Europe. Europe and some, yeah, some other places. And I, I ended up going to, uh, to Africa, and I went to the Sudan. Um, and did some relief work at refugee camps in the Darfur. And after spending time there with those people, uh, I, I came to this realization that I wanted to fight for them, and uh, they were worth fighting for, I thought. And so I, I came back to the States, and I didn't even know what the Green Berets did. You know, I'd heard of it because of John Wayne and Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. But uh, I didn't really know... Uh, I didn't really know their actual mission, and so I started. I feel like everybody kind of does that. Like I joined the Marine Corps because I thought that Jack Nicholas' character and a few good men was a badass. I was like, he's fucked up, but I like that, so I'm going to join the Marines. Right there, you go. I mean, that's you know, people. I, we had a lot of Call of Duty soldiers in my basic training, and half those guys, you know, pissed the bed on purpose about three weeks in, so they could, <laughs> they, could, they, could they could get out of the military once I realized it's actually, you know, manual labor and physically demanding and just tough. In general and lots of cleaning so, lots of cleaning yeah <laughs> standing standing yeah. very still for very long periods of time eating lots shitty food yeah no cell phones well not anymore i guess i can have cell phones now but 
Yeah, I went to Air Force Base today, man. It was terrible. It was I was watching them. I was like, what are you guys doing? Like they didn't even have like camouflage backpacks. Some of them were marching in formation with red backpacks. I was like, what is happening to my military right now? Oh my god. <laughs> All right, so you, you you get you get done, you get done with the University of Texas. And did someone approach you and say, hey, Nate, I think you could do this at the next level? Or, again, was that something you said to yourself, I want to go play at the next level, so I'm going to figure out a way to go do it? Yeah, I mean, I I wanted to, and I and I honestly considered playing at just, you know, maybe I'll only be able to make it at a smaller school. And uh, a good buddy of mine, Brad Keyes, who unfortunately has passed away now, uh, who was deployed with me at the time, you know, he's my hero. The guy's got an amazing story in his own right. He he married a single mother who had a child with disabilities um, and is just an all-American human. And uh, anyway, God rest his school. He's the best. What Brad told me was, look, dude, if you're going to go do this, you've got to go play at a big school, man. Like, with your background and, and your condition, I was in pretty good shape. Uh, he was like, you'll make it, man. You just, you know, you're going to go harder than everybody else. You know that. And you're never going to quit. And that's really what it takes. If you're just trying to make the team, like, you'll make the team. So he sort of convinced me and pushed me in that direction. And uh, and that's that was sort of my big influence to uh, to just kind of go balls out towards that. And, uh, you know, if I didn't make the team, I mean, I'd get a great education at, at an amazing school anyway in the University of Texas. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there wasn't really anything to lose, uh, right? And then, but beyond that, so you, you you made that decision for to go to University of Texas, obviously storied program there. But the next level, the NFL, how is it that you decided? Oh, <laughs> you wanted to oh, like, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I graduated. I, when I played in college, I I was anywhere from 185 to 195 pounds. That's what I played at. The rules are a little bit different in college as far as um, the punt protection. You can have a shield back by the punter, mm-hmm. a three-man shield. So so a snapper, and you don't have to wait until the ball is kicked to cross the line of scrimmage. So a snapper can snap the ball and free release down the field like a gunner. Right. And uh, you, don't have to, you don't have a blocking responsibility. So it didn't really matter that I was smaller, right? At the NFL level, the rules are completely different. You have to wait until the punt is uh, – uh, the ball is kicked – you can only have one person in the backfield uh, as a personal protector, and uh, and you essentially have to block one on one somebody like you know Von Miller coming <laughs> through the hole. And uh, I so do. I sort of I sort of just you know, and just my size and age. I was 34. I was like, you know what? It's that's probably not going to happen. And uh, and I got the kind of the last minute right after our bowl game. I got invited to play in the senior all-star game in Charleston called the Medal of Honor Bowl, which actually I don't even think they play it anymore. I was just a, one of those games for a few years. Every year they have, you know, three or four uh, senior all-star games around the country, and the, the most popular one is the, the Senior Bowl. Right. But uh, in the East-West Shrine yeah. game, but there's a couple others. So I go out there. Every practice there's like 100 scouts there from the NFL, and I didn't really know that. You know, that's just – they come out to the practices and they evaluate guys. Uh, and most of the guys I'm playing with are mid, you know, mid-level rounders to, to undrafted free agent uh, prospects. And I'm out there. There's only two snappers there. There's me and the guy for the other team. And, uh, you know, I'm watching him snap. He's bigger than me and all that. But I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm as good as he is, if not better at snapping, you know. And so I just, uh, I just went about my business. And a couple of days into it, I've get, I got 
you know, four, four of these NFL scouts from different teams are coming up to me and talking to me and like, so, you know, are you going to, what's your plan? Are you going to, you going to kind of go for it? And, uh, I was like, I, are you going to yes. let me? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, what, what do you think? And they're just like, well, you can snap, you can sure snap. You're going to have to put on about 40 pounds, but, uh, you know, it's possible. And I was just like, damn. Okay. So I literally weighed in at that game. I think I weighed in about a 190, 196. Um, cause I ate a lot that week <laughs> and, uh, and I, I did it. I, I did an interview with Dan Wetzel from, uh, Yahoo sports. Cause he heard about me playing out at the game and he said, so are you going to give it a shot at the next level? And I just said, you know what? Yes, I am. And, uh, from then the, the story kind of, uh, was out there. And the fact that I was going to give it a shot, um, I did great through the practices and in the game. And then I came out to LA and walked through the doors of Jay Glazer's gym and sort of just started working out without asking and uh you know was eating eating six seven thousand calories a day and eventually you know put a bunch of weight on got up to uh i think i was i gained 20 pounds by the time i had my pro day so i was up to 216 and climbing and had a good pro day i did i did all the drills well snapped really well and uh and it all just sort of fell into place day of the last day of the draft I'm getting phone calls from the St. Louis Rams and the uh, Seattle Seahawks. And both those teams said that they, they wanted to sign me after the, you know, they weren't going to draft me, but they wanted to sign me as soon as the seventh round was over. And so I had to make that decision. And, you know, at the time, uh, the Rams being in St. Louis, part of that, uh, no offense to St. Louis, uh, and and the Seahawks coming off back-to-back Super Bowls and the team that they had and the culture and all that, it just, it was kind of a no brainer to, I wanted to compete with the best. I didn't care. It's not that I don't care if I make the team, but I didn't, I didn't want to ever regret not really going for it, you know, and not competing at the highest level. And so, uh, yeah, I got the, I, I said yes to them and I got the, I got the official call from, from coach Carroll and, and the GM John Schneider after the draft and signed with the Seahawks. Well, speaking of Jay Glazer, you are now in a, and an organization with Jay Glazer called Merging Vets and Players. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Jay, uh, I mean, Jay's a huge supporter of our military, first of all. And, uh, you know, he's got a gym up here in Los Angeles called Unbreakable Performance Center. And that gym, you know, everything is about competing, uh, no matter who walks through those doors. I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of actors and, and you know, professionals uh, in various fields that go through there, but there's a ton of athletes that train there, serious athletes, UFC fighters, football players, baseball players, hockey players. And, uh, and he, you know, we just, he pushes guys. And, and when I got done, uh, you know, when I got finally got released from the Seahawks after the preseason, um, I came back up there. We were sort of talking about, you know, the next phase, what's going on. What am I going to do next? You know, what's my, what's my continued purpose and kicked around some ideas and, and that kind of thinking right there uh, and that understanding of being around some of these athletes that are hanging on, trying to hang on to that last year and make that team one more time, you know, mm, yeah. maybe they're as old as I was at the time. And, uh, and then if they don't, you know, them feeling kind of lost and purposeless moving forward. And I was like, man, this is like, this is what happens with our veterans. It's what happens with war fighters, man. They, so many of us, we don't, we don't think about we're, we're in the moment we're in the now. I mean, it's all about the man on our left and right. And, uh, and then when that's over and that locker room's gone, you know, that team room, 
uh, and, and you miss that camaraderie, uh, that's that's where you you really lack that that motivation to get up in the morning sometimes and that purpose and you know that dream. I mean, like you guys, you guys have something. This is this is one of your pursuits. You know, doing doing what you're doing with with Barstool, and and I'm sure you have very many other uh, interests and things you're you're going after. But a lot of veterans, for whatever reason, they they don't uh, they don't they don't know what that pursuit is. They don't even know what they like sometimes. And and the most ridiculous part of it is they they feel like you know what? I spent all this time in the military. I, I, I missed my window to go, you know, conquer Wall Street or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, you can utilize all of those skills you learned um, and probably cover so much more ground, so much faster than an average person because you know what it takes to be great, to be elite. You know what you have to sacrifice uh, to, to make the mission. And, uh, and we're just trying to be a part of reminding those guys, you know, and also giving these athletes that same type of, uh, of thinking, you know, these guys have a platform and, uh, and there's also just such a cool mutual respect between athletes, elite athletes and combat veterans. Like they just look up to one another. Obviously the athlete looks at that veteran, like, man, you're a freaking hero. And, uh, if you didn't do what you did, I wouldn't be able to play these games, you know, and, and us as, as a lot of veterans, I mean, one of my biggest uh, uh, releases overseas, you know, my 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 me time uh, was spent in front of uh, the television watching college and professional football games at three in the morning. No you know, yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, that was huge for me. I couldn't wait for that. And that's such a huge part of our culture. So that it really does matter. And it's just it's great to bring these guys together. And uh, it doesn't take long. And it's like they're all giving each other shit. And, uh, you know, it's just. It just feels that those that locker room and team room. I can speak to this as much as anybody, and 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 you guys know played sports as well. Like it's the same thing, you know. It's it's very similar. Obviously, combat and uh, a game. I would never compare those two things. Right. But that camaraderie and brotherhood is 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 identical. Yeah, and the locker room talk is is similar in both. <laughs> yeah, unless you're Donald Trump, you know, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, a little different. Yeah. Uh, usually, most locker rooms I've been in, I didn't have the opportunity to grab anybody that buy their pussy because there wasn't any in there. But, um, <laughs> so you spent some time in Okinawa and like what you're saying about sports. I always tell people that my favorite sports moment, even though I've been to some big games like Army, Navy, playoff games for both the NFL, MLB, NBA, my favorite days was watching the Super Bowl from Okinawa because it happened at like nine o'clock in the morning and we got off Monday. Like it was Super Bowl Monday. So you got the whole day off and you could start drinking at like three o'clock in the morning. It was awesome. What what Super Bowl was it? Do you remember? Uh, I think well I was there from two thousand four to two thousand. No, you were black, you were blacked out by seven AM. You don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's accurate. Like, for I chaps. don't remember any of this. And I'm I'm a Jaguars fan, so people went like I called the two thousand four to two thousand seven Jaguar time like as dead years for me because Nobody on AFN Network wanted to watch the Jaguars play. No. It was always like the Cowboys or the Patriots or somebody like that. I never got to watch my team once in the four years that I was there. Bullshit. But uh, <laughs> sp- say, speaking of the NFL, there's another uh, a friend of Barstool, Chris Long. He's involved with another organization called uh, Water Boys, and you have some involvement with him as well, don't you? Yeah, Chris is Chris is an unbelievable human as well, man. And he, uh, you know, he went over to Tanzania. Uh, just a few years ago, and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, went over there with some other NFL players, and when he was leaving, he was like, "Man, I want to, 
I want to leave a positive footprint on this place. It's such a beautiful uh, land and, and people. Uh, the Maasai tribe that sort of populate that entire area are just unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the way that they live their lives and how simple uh, things are for them. And uh, they, don't, they don't ask for much. They don't ask for anything. Uh, but they live without, uh, without clean water, you know, something that we definitely take for granted here in this country. We're very fortunate to have. And, I mean, these people, they often walk five hours a day, young women, uh, to go collect disease-ridden water. And it's just, it's just, it's just not right. It's just sad. And, and it's, it's something that's definitely uh, fixable, though. And so he, he came up with this idea for Water Boys, uh, an initiative that, that would raise money through NFL locker rooms and fan bases uh, to, to put clean water wells in the ground out in, in these uh, very rural areas. And uh, the day after I got cut from the Seahawks, he actually called me and asked if uh, I would want to be involved at any level. And he said, I just want you to be an ambassador, or I don't even know what it looks like right now, but whatever you want, man, like I just want you in. And uh, so I said yes, and, and literally the next day I was uh, – I was on a stair climber and clicking through the programs and Kilimanjaro was one of the options. Oh, that's awesome. And so I called him back and I said, I, man, I got an idea. Uh, why don't I go out there with a wounded vet this year and try to climb the mountain and we'll raise money for water wells in the process. And so I, we went out last year. Um, they, I went with a single leg amputee above the knee. Uh, he had some complications with his leg and wasn't able to summit, but I finished the climb and we raised a hundred thousand dollars in the process, put two water wells in the ground. One of them I dedicated to Brad, my, my buddy I spoke about earlier. And then we made a plan to come back this year. And so just last month, I went with Chris uh, and Coach Jim Mora over at UCLA, mm -hmm. uh, Chad Brown, uh, Nick Hardwick, several other NFL players, former NFL players, all came out and climbed with us. And we brought three wounded veterans. We had a blind uh, Green Beret named Ivan Castro, uh, a, a ranger a single leg amputee below the knee named Pete Quintanilla and a Marine above the knee amputee named Kirsty Ennis. And she is the first above the knee female amputee to ever summit Kilimanjaro. Everybody summited. Uh, it was incredibly powerful. We raised $150,000 this year. Wow. And, uh, and we're looking forward to continue to do that on an annual basis. And it, it's just a really cool, the coolest part of the trip, obviously the climb's unbelievable, but to go to these villages, and be a part of these dedication ceremonies of the well and see how many people it affects. I mean, five to 10,000 people uh, are, are, you know, offered the potential to, to have clean water for the rest of their lives in these fully sustainable wells, uh, each one. And uh, it's so, so if our listeners want to help out and donate, where could they do that at? So that site is a uh, waterboys.org slash Killy. K-I-L-I. -I. All right, and we'll, we'll put that up with the blog that we write about this episode too. Nate, we want to thank you so much for your time and all the work that you're doing with not only wounded vets, but uh, just getting the message out across to help all people vets, out. Man, all vets. Yep, no doubt. Thank you so much, Nate. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you guys for the platform. I appreciate Barstool and, and both y'all service. Thank you. Well, thanks, Nate, man. That was a good interview. I love learning shit about what people did um, before they became NFL players and none better than being an Army guy. That's yeah. a pretty fucking cool story. Make sure you go check out Waterboys and um, the other 
organizations that Nate proudly represents. He does a great job with being a vocal advocate for military veterans and shit like that. Any save rounds alibis? Uh, yeah, I would just encourage everyone to go read your uh, blog from today, chaps. Uh, today's May 11th about the uh, oldest living World War II survivor. It's it's quite the blog. Great gentleman, uh, Richard Overton, Dick Overton. Badass dude. Rigsy? No, but I will say that if anybody was dumb enough to miss last week's episode, go back and listen to the interview with Rob O'Neill because there was a lot of good little detail, especially hearing it from just like, a guy who's just a normal dude now uh, talking and kind of uh, reminiscing and even the little part about how, like, guys on their way to the raid were just, like, trying to figure out how to piss on the helicopter and stuff. Yeah. That type of shit I just found fascinating. So if you missed that, go back and listen to it. And one last oh, yeah. thing. Buy your tickets for the Freedom Cruise. All proceeds go to the home-based organization, a Boston-based organization helping veterans fight the invisible scars from war. It's going to be a great time. Can't wait to see everybody. I'm going to be Download, here. subscribe, and review for play for Rigsy. Woo. Thanks, boys. Sound the retreat.